You know, amen, hallelujah. I, uh, I was talking to my oldest son, Asher. He just turned four this past week. And, and this kid, I mean, he's, he's brilliant. And, and he's he got an incredible memory, and he's very, very smart. But we were talking about helping him grow up and helping him learn and all this stuff. And I said, son, I, I never want to run out of things to tell you. I never run, want to run out of things to teach you. I will always pour into you. I will always love you. And what I said is, because God's always doing something new in me. And you know what he said? And in me. That's what Asher said. And in me. I said, praise the Lord, because God is always doing something new. He's, he's alive. He's living today. Now, and it's just, I, I, we have to get a hold of that because it's always good and it's always fresh. And, and Jesus paid the price so that we could be in his presence any minute of the day, all the time. And so we, we can choose to be in his presence. And, and what I really want to talk about today is that the heart of being in his presence. We've talked for weeks, six or so weeks, about encountering Jesus. And we've told stories about Zacchaeus and the tree. And we've told stories about the woman at the well at Sakaar. And we've told all these different stories, and even Thomas not doubting anymore when he encounters Jesus. And what I want to talk about is what happens in your heart after an encounter with Jesus. Because I, I think, in, in my study, the heart is one of the most important things. Uh, because here, you, you know the verse, the, the Bible says that the power of life and death is in our speech, right? And Proverbs says that like a, a rudder of a, shoe, a huge ship, the tongue can, can steer. Uh, but what the Lord revealed to me, th this is true, this is true. But the Bible also says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the source of your speech is, is the heart. And, and what, what the Lord revealed to me is while the rudder can steer the ship, there needs to be a steering wheel to steer the rudder. There, there need, the, the captain needs to turn the ship. And the rudder, yes, the speech changes things, but I think what's in your heart changes that as well. Let, let me talk about it for a moment. Go ahead and turn to Luke 6.45. But there's, there's the feeling in, in the heart. The, the heart changes, and I think that's what's key. Here, here's the deal. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? And, and Above all things, it's deceitful, it's wicked. Who can know it? But the Lord says, through Jeremiah, he says, I search the heart. Right right then, he says, the heart's deceitfully wicked, but I search it, the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart. He told Samuel, when he anointed David, he said, don't look on the outward appearance, because I don't judge how man judges, I judge the heart. Right, so, so God is already putting a priority on the heart. And yes, our our worldly desires definitely are deceitfully wicked. We should not follow those. But what Jesus says, what Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, kind of has a good answer to this, because the power of life and death is in your tongue, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so here's what we need to do. Luke 6, 45 says that a good man, this is Jesus talking, a good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good. And therefore, the opposite is true. An evil man, out of the evil treasure in his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Another version says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so here's the question. Uh, what's your heart full of? Simple. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4 that we're supposed to, above all other things, guard your heart. Why? Because the Lord tests the heart. 
And I actually think this is a huge key that a lot of people miss. And I missed it for a long time because if your heart is after Jesus, if, what, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He judges your heart. Simple. So the question is, what's in your heart? And actually, I brought up my son, Asher. Uh, every time that I leave uh, to go to work, every, every time I'm not going to see him for a little while, we, I, I try to do this little affirmation thing, this little teaching of scripture, and try and pour into him. And it's, it's four or five questions long, and he talks about we see boys as sons of God, and we see girls as daughters of God, and, and how do you love God with all your heart, and why do you love God? Because he loved us first. It's all scripture. It's all great. But the first question says, who's in your heart? And he says, Jesus. Because, because that's, that's the key. That's everything. If Jesus is in your heart, if your heart is fixed on him, God judges the heart. If God's already in your heart, God judges himself good, you're good. You're covered. Does that make sense? It's, it's the key is here. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, the scripture teaches us that your words are one of the most powerful things that exist. God created the heavens and the earth. How? with his words. And he created us in his image, so our words have similar power. It's the two-edged sword in Jesus' mouth that destroys the nations at the end of Revelation. I mean, his words are incredibly powerful, but the words stem from what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Simple question. But, and what I mean is, it, it must be Jesus, and only Jesus. It must be. There is no other alternative. It must be only Jesus, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which also puts a little bit of pressure. If Jesus is in your heart, you, you got to speak. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of boldness at school. Okay, all right, here we go. So, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Above all else, guard your heart. That's why the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart, Right? That's why the scripture says that we want a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, right? Wait, it's a purified heart. I actually, a lot of worldly people think that Christians are just brainwashed, right? And let's be honest, um, back when I wasn't saved, I could use some cleaning up there. Yeah, I need a washing for sure, because uh, there was some not so clean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and I have to, every once in a while, fight against those unclean things. Like, we, we call those into submission because we're supposed to hold every thought captive. And we, we are a little brainwashed. Let's be, let's be honest. We are. It's fine. But I don't think it's just brainwashing. I don't think it's just your mind. I think it's a heart washing. I think it's a, a cleanse my heart, God. Cleanse my desires. Cleanse my passions. Cleanse my being. Everything that I am, the, the life from here, it cleanse it. Purify it. Yes? Proverbs 4, that verse says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The wellsprings of life flow from your heart. This is a key. This is a huge deal. Who's in your heart? It's a simple question. What's in your heart? What is the most significant desire in your life? If it's not Jesus, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're going to fail. Okay? It's not, it's not me. I'm not judging you. He is. I'm serious. I'm serious. Because if it's not him, he judges the heart. He tests the heart. If there's another desire over God in your life, that desire is going to fail you, whether you achieve it or not. It's true. Jesus is the only answer to that question. So I, I, I hope that you understand. And again, this is not a judgment-based thing. It's, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. Yeah? So and we all go through seasons of it. I've, I'm definitely preaching to myself right now because of the seasons 
that your heart is in, sometimes you desire something huge. And, and sometimes that desire just takes the place of God. And, and we, we cannot let that happen. Who's in your heart? It's got to be Jesus. And this is actually one of the greatest stories I've heard recently that I've, everybody's mostly familiar with is the thief on the cross. It's, uh, it's told in Luke chapter 23. Um, but Jesus is, is being crucified and he's got two thieves next to him. And one thief, just like everybody else, rebukes him and, and, or, or uh, heckles him. Says, if you're the son of God, save us. Save, save you and me. Why don't you save us? And the other thief, he's dying. They're dying. They're literally in one of the most painful deaths that exists. And this other guy a few feet away just calls out this other thief. It's an incredible story. Luke chapter 23, verse 40. The other thief rebukes this other thief. He says, do you not even fear God? We're under the same condemnation. You're going to die right now, and you're going to use your last breath to heckle God? You're going to, you're going to, he literally, this thief who's dying, who, if you study crucifixion, you cannot breathe. It literally, you have to lift yourself off of your nails to breathe. It's this awful thing. He literally uses his breath to say, you're wrong, man. What are you doing? He literally uses his breath to say that, we are being punished for what we have done, but this man, this Christ man has done nothing. And he says, Jesus, remember me. And, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? He didn't take communion. He didn't give. He wasn't baptized. He didn't go to church. His heart was right. He had a moment, he had a moment to say, Jesus, remember me. His heart was right. That's all it takes. He was dying a terrible, painful death. And he said, Jesus, my heart is right. You are the Lord, remember me. Who's in your heart? I don't care how much you give. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care what the bumper sticker on your car says. Who's in your heart? It's, there's one answer. It has to be Jesus. Because if not, the other desires of the world will take over. You must guard your heart. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be there. If Jesus is your treasure, your heart is filled with Jesus. You must guard your heart above all other things. Does it make sense? This, I mean, this is a huge key here. And it's a very simple question of who's in your heart. It could also be what's in your heart. What do you desire above all else? It could be a timeline in your heart. Are you looking forward to retirement more than this time right now? If that's the thing in your heart, the most passionate thing that you're waiting for, you're missing now. If, if there's if you're desiring a relationship, if you're desiring income, if you're desiring a job, you're missing God right now. What's in your heart? Who's in your heart? It's simple. But it's all about the greatest passion in the world. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with everything. And I used to, I, I, as I'm starting to understand this, I used to just think it was simply every, every action, every breath, you know, every, my job is his, my money is his, my family is his, and that is true. That is true. But it literally, it's all of your being. It's, it's just 
Everything that you have, everything you've ever had, everything you will have is his, and you're supposed to love him with it. That means, as a father, I'm supposed to love him as a father. The way I father my children is supposed to love God. The way I teach my school is supposed to be from the love of God. The way that I spend my money is supposed to be from the love of God. Are you with me? Love him with everything, all of the things, everything. It's not just supposed to be a sometimes thing. And that's, that's the analogy we were talking about in worship. Everything lives where the river flows. There's joy and life in his presence. Why keep getting a drink and then go and do the worldly stuff and go and do the stuff he's told you not to do? Why do that? It doesn't make any sense because you can just stay in his presence. He paid the ultimate price so you could stay here. And we have doubts. We have, we have fears. I'll be the first to admit it. I do too. It's okay. But if you call those fears out for what they are, lies from the enemy, you, you say, Jesus, uh, help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And, you, and maybe you see circumstances that don't feel like the river's flowing over you. Maybe you get a report that doesn't feel like, you know, no, no, I'm going to stay in this river. I know it doesn't seem right, but I'm going to stay in life. I'm going to stay in peace. I'm going to stay in joy because here there's life. And it's, it's a simple heart posture. It's a simple heart. Where's your, where is your heart? If your heart is after Jesus above all else, it does not matter. It does not matter what else happens. Where's your heart? Who is in your heart? If it's Jesus, you're going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. Let me talk about uh, the Apostle Paul. Actually, before I do that, a couple of other things. I love notes. How helpful. Thank you, Jesus, for notes. Uh, Luke chapter 5 is when uh, the man comes through the roof. They tear up the roof at Zebedee's house, and they, the man comes through the roof, right? And uh, when, when they want him to pray for healing, he's, he's paralyzed. They want him to pray for his legs. You know what Jesus says first? Your sins are forgiven. And I think this is a big deal. If your heart's right, because his friends, his heart was after healing, physical healing, and he received it. I'm not saying don't go after physical healing because it works, right? Keep going after physical healing. But most of the time what happens first is your heart gets healed. If you seek Jesus enough, he says your sins are forgiven. There's the story in John chapter 9. One of my favorite stories is the blind man. Jesus spits in the mud and anoints on his eyes and he goes and he's healed. You know, know that story? Great story. If you study that out, supposedly this blind man would have been uh, disowned by his family. And anybody disowned in that culture, uh, you know, begging on the side of the road, if they're known to be not a part of a family anymore, disowned by his parents, they'll spit in his direction. They'll spit at him. And, and so his whole life, he hears this spitting sound. His whole life, this, this sound is a curse to him. Even if he doesn't feel the spit, the sound curses him. Yeah? Because, because he's been disowned by his family. He's, he's nothing to society. He's terrible he gets spit at. So Jesus spits not to heal him instantly, but to heal his heart. You catch it? I mean, it's the sound. It's the very sound that has been cursing him all of his life. That's the sound that creates healing. Why? Because his heart needs to be in the right place. Are you with me? And, and, and you, can, you can read those stories all the time of the rich young ruler and, and the people who say, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything. But he doesn't. Why? Because everything's in his heart. Because his riches are in his heart. 
That's what he's led by. That's why it's so hard for him because his, his heart is led by his riches. Are you with me? It's simple. And, and there's a bunch of stories like that, but it's, it's who is in your heart. And if you have Jesus there, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You can face anything with Jesus, and it doesn't matter. Let's talk about Apostle Paul. Turn to uh, Philippians 4. Pretty famous scripture, but I want to give you a little bit of backstory too. When, when he's writing the letter to the Philippians, Paul, he's in prison in Rome. Uh, and actually, um, I don't talk about it a lot, but when I was in high school, I took six years of Latin. I don't know why, but I studied Latin. I, it was fun, I guess. Uh, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And you learn about the uh, different leadership and, and different uh, eras that Rome went through. And during this time, uh, Rome is under an emperor named Nero. And if you, if you read Roman history at all, Nero's one of the famous, uh, infamous for being wicked. Uh, he, lit his garden par- he lit his garden parties with burning bodies. Uh, he would, he would uh, put Christians underneath the floorboards so that people would dance on them and they would get... Tra- like he, was, he was known for being pretty messed up. He actually uh, is infamous again for saying that he doesn't like Christians because how much they sing when they die. That's, that's what he says. Uh, so he's this evil guy. And this is where Paul is. Paul's in Rome under Nero. He is facing some terrible, awful death. He doesn't know. Okay, but the Philippians heard about he's in prison. And they took up an offering for him. And they got him a bunch of money. And they sent him a bunch of money with the messenger. And you know what he says. So, so read with me Philippians 4.11. He's saying, uh, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Because I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Basically, if you read through this here, he's saying, thank you for the money. I'm blessed by it. I receive it. But I did not need it. I was content before. I'm going to be content now. I don't need your money. I'm I'm in prison, I'm facing a terrible death, but I'm content. Why? Let's keep reading. Verse 11 again. I'm not saying this. I'm actually going to read out of the NIV because I really like the way it puts it here. Not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned what to be content for whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Talking about the money. He also was super rich, if you, if you know his story. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty, living in want, and here's the famous one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But did you hear it? It's a secret to being content. He's facing death, terrible, awful, miserable death, and he's content. Do you hear it? I mean... That's the secret in all things, regardless if I have a bunch of money or my bank account is zero, if I have all the food from Costco, praise the Lord for Costco, or if my pantry is empty, I'm content. And this is the secret. His heart is after Jesus. He's content, facing terrible death. I mean, let's talk about Daniel in the lion's den. One of my favorite stories, I actually got the opportunity to teach youth last week, and I, I taught something very similar to this. And uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah? I, I love this. I'm actually going to read this for you. Because you, if you don't know the story, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is evil in Babylon, and he creates a golden idol that everybody's got to worship. So whenever the band plays, whenever the music plays, you've got to worship the golden idol. You've got to bow down to worship him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Jewish guys, Israelites, who won't do it. They won't, they won't worship the idol. They just won't. So the king calls him in, and he's really, really mad. 
And he says, this is Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Again, I'm going to read from the NIV, uh, just because I I love the the tangibility of it here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said to these three men, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the music, the sound of the band, if you are ready to fall down and worship the golden image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. And then what God would be able to rescue you from my hand? So the king is, cha- is saying, one, you're going to follow my rules, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. A terrible, terrible death. I mean, he's the king. He can make his rules, right? Terrible death. And then he, but then he challenges them. And this, this is where this gets so good. He says, what God could rescue you? And, and this is why I love this version. Here's what they say. Uh, it, it says, all three of them replied, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was a leader. I don't know. Maybe it's Meshach. He seems like the, I don't know. I, I don't know if there was one guy who stepped up or they all three were just totally in agreement. I don't know. But they replied. Here's what they said. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. We don't even need to respond to you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it with all the confidence in the world. He is able. So, he is. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, some versions say, O king, and king is lowercase. I love it. We want you to know, lowercase king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set up. They're facing terrible death right now, and they're content. Why? Who's in your heart? It's a really simple thing. But these guys had it so deep in their heart, they were so in the river flow, they were so in his presence, that they were prepared for this. They were ready for this. They literally said, we don't need to answer you. It doesn't matter. They were ready for this terrible, awful, unimaginable situation. They had an answer. Who's in your heart? They said, we're going to serve our God. And of course, you know the story. He, he lights the fire seven times hotter. And the guards, because the fire is so hot, the guards holding these three men were burned instantly. They died. But the three men fell into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, didn't I throw three guys in there? Uh, I see four, and they're unbound, and they're walking around, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Because Jesus is right there with him. And here's the truth, church. Sometimes God delivers you from the fire. Sometimes he takes you out, or you you never even know there was a fire, and sometimes he makes you fireproof. And the only way to know if you're fireproof is in the fire. But here's the thing. You cannot prepare for crisis in crisis, okay? You, you cannot prepare for the worst things imaginable, imaginable when you're in them because you don't think clearly in crisis. You need to prepare for these things in advance. They were prepared in advance. Paul was prepared to face Nero. Are you with me? Here's the thing, uh, and, and I, I don't want to go without saying it. The atrocities that are happening in Israel right now are, are di- diabolical. They are despicable. They are disgusting. And we are supposed to love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. And, and I cannot stand it. It makes my skin crawl. I pray. I, I, I could cry right now just even thinking of it. But there are Christians in Israel and in Palestine right now dying a terrible, awful death, and they are content. 
Why? Because they have their heart right. It's simple. It does not matter what you're going to face. It doesn't matter. You could face a burning, fiery furnace. You could face an emperor that is diabolical and mean, or you could face a terrible atrocity in the Middle East. It does not matter. If you have Jesus in your heart, you can be content in all things. Who's in your heart? It's a simple question. And the question also goes, what's in your heart? If there's something else there, and this is not a condemnation, trust me, because I am talking to myself too. It is not, I am not here judging you, but God judges the heart. And if Jesus is in your heart, you can face every situation. You can face want and you can face plenty. Riches and poor, hungry and well-fed, you can face them all with content. You can be content. You can have peace in everything you do. Who's in your heart? It's a very simple question. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, sure. I'll make it simple. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know that one? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for a hope and a future. Let's put that one into context too. Jeremiah 29, 10, the verse before. Jeremiah literally says, thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon. You know what that means? You're going to spend 70 years in exile. 70, not, not 70 days. That's a long time. That's multiple generations. Jeremiah says, you're going to spend 70 years in exile. And after those 70 years are completed, says the Lord, I will visit you. I will perform my good works towards you. And you will return here. So there's hope. Because, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for hope, plans for, there's hope. Okay, sure. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then you will call upon me. You will go and pray to me and I will listen. Verse 13, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. They're facing exile. 70 years away from their own land. A promise. Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles. You will have tribulation. A promise. But you will find him with all of your heart. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. There can be nothing before him. There can be nothing in your life that's more important that you're seeking more than him. There can be no wisdom that's better. There can be no money that's worth anything compared to him. 